0: Stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 John 5 1 through 5 and 18 through 21. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Skipping down to verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one... Who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God. And eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Appreciate
1: it. Plenty of seats over this side of the room. Those of you coming on in, lots of seats. Always front row availability. Good morning. So today we, we actually come to the end of our series in 1 John. Um, sometimes the, the Spirit of the Lord speaks to you about when the right time to end a series is, and you feel moved by that to end a series. And sometimes the calendar says Thanksgiving's coming, and Christmas is coming, and it's time. And um, No, but I think we've had a really good journey through this letter. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, it's a hard-hitting letter at times but hopefully an encouraging one, and today we, we close this time off, and this will be the last time we'll be in 1 John, at least for a while, I imagine. So one last shot at, at looking at the themes of this letter, just to remind you, um, this letter was written so that believers might have assurance that they truly are children of God, that they could have certain ways to look at their lives and see if these are the kinds of things that your lives are about, that can show you that your faith is truly authentic, that you really are born again of God's spirit. And so if you look at verse 1 through part of verse 3... Um, It's a good summary of the book. Let me just read those verses again that Gene just read. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child, that would be children of God as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. Okay? So without going into the details of those verses, those verses really capture the major themes of John's letter. Um, weeks ago, I showed you this image. This is what Jesus said to his disciples the night before he died, uh, talking about what authentic abiding in him looks like. He said, I want you to abide in me. I want you to be in me. I want you to have a relationship with me. He said, one of the ways you do that is you obey my commands. And that's what John says here. Obedience is an important part of our relationship with Jesus. And then Jesus goes on to say, here's what my primary command is, love one another. So obey me, and especially, oh, love one another. And really, that's what First John is all about. You want to know what authentic faith is about? It's about obeying God and loving one another as an expression of our faith. And so really, those verses kind of capture. This is, we, we've, in one way or another, I've been saying this for about three months now. I mean, it's just, John just has different ways of saying these same basic themes. Love one another, walk in the light, obey God's commands. That's what authentic faith looks like. So what I want to do to end uh, this series is, uh, there were two questions, I know we skipped some stuff in chapter five, but as I looked at these short passages, there are two questions that really came to mind that I want to just explore together. The first is in uh, verse three, when it says, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and then it says this, his commands are not burdensome. And I want to explore what that means, especially the reason he gives. Why? Verse 4, because everyone born of God overcomes the world. So my question is, what does commands not being burdensome have to do with overcoming the world? What is John talking about there? I want to try to get at that. And then finally, the other thing that just struck me is the way, I don't know if you felt this when Gene read it, but the way the letter ends, it's like this abrupt, dear children, keep yourselves from idols, period. You're like... Where did that come from? You know, and then it's over. It's done. And I want to try to get, is that, it feels like a non sequitur. It feels blunt and like, whoa, that's a weird way to end. So is that a non sequitur or does that make perfect sense with what John is saying? And is that an appropriate way to end? And how maybe does that even connect with God's commands not being burdensome and overcoming the world? All right. So I want to try to put all of that together this morning if I can, or at least explore it together. So one last time. I want to talk about what a Christian is, what an authentic follower of Jesus Christ looks like according to John. And to do that, I just want to remind us again of what the story is. What is the story that God is telling through the scriptures, through all of creation, all right? And hopefully as we see this picture of what God's story is and what authentic faith looks like, we want to aspire to that. This is, I want to live into that reality. So that's the goal this morning. So if you look at um, verse 19 through 20, let me just read those as a way of summing up the story, really, of the history of the world, okay? Verse 19, we know that we are the children of God, and here's here's where the story I want to talk about, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one, that's Satan. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. I want to talk about that story for a bit, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one, but the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we might know the one true God. That is the story of the universe, all right? So to go to the story of the world being under the control of the evil one, first we have to go back before the world was under the control of the evil one, all right? So I want you to just, I want to take you back right now. I want you to picture... Genesis 1 and 2 for a second, all right? I want you to imagine God, the creator, creates this beautiful creation. Heaven and earth, it says. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. God creates, we're going to pretend this is Eden up here, this stage, okay? Um, God creates this beautiful garden, and he creates these image bearers, male and female, in the garden, Adam and Eve, right? They somehow reflect who he is, and he sets them in this beautiful place, and he gives them this life that he intends for them that is supposed to be this flourishing, fulfilling, joy-filled adventure in this brand-new creation. And within this world, there are commandments that he gave them, even in Genesis 1 and 2. And here's the image I want to give you today. I want you to imagine this. I had to give you some Im- you know, my, my, my famous, um, really powerful slides here. So the, the way that God intended it is to create these image bearers uh, going through life, and God was going to give them certain commandments, okay? We're going to talk about commandments not being burdensome today. He was going to give them commandments, all sorts of commandments. Uh, that's a door, in case that's my best shot at a door, and the idea would be that as they, as they walk through those commandments, they walk into those commandments, they would find life, That his commandments would lead to life for them. So Genesis 1 and 2, there's these great commandments. He says, I want you to go, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill this earth that I've created, right? I want you to rule over it. I want you to subdue it. In Genesis 2, there's a garden. I'm putting you there as the the gardeners. I want you to tend it and to cultivate it and to bring out all of its its potentiality. Those are very life-giving commands, would you agree? If they are to step into those commands, it will lead to fulfillment and joy and adventure and everything that God has for them. The commands are a door through which you experience life. God gives them one prohibitive command. Remember that one prohibitive command in the garden? He says there's a tree. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't Eat from that tree. Meaning something like, I don't want you guys trying to decide for yourselves what is good and evil. Okay? That's above your pay grade, essentially. I want you to trust me. I'm the creator. I'm the designer. I made this universe. Trust that I know what is good and what is evil for you. Don't try to take that knowledge for yourselves. Don't try to decide that for yourselves. Stay away from that. Trust me. I love you. I have your best in mind. Trust me. And then go out and live this life. All right? The commandments were there to bring life. So that's, um, that's the... That's, um, you know, chapter one of the story. But of course, in verse 20, we get chapter two of the story that now the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So here's what happens in Genesis 3. This is performance art today. I've got my prop. Um, Isn't this a fantastic apple? This is real. This is not a fake apple. It's massive. I bought this at Sprouts this morning. Um, Probably not organic. I imagine at that size. Um, So just be, just kind of bear with me here. So, so Satan, right, through this serpent comes to Adam and Eve and they look at this tree, this one prohibitive command that God gave and Satan essentially begins to form this lie deep in their hearts and minds, okay? Anybody see the movie Inception? You guys remember that? movie Inception where they go back like into this deep, dark, subconscious dream and they conceive this idea in a person's mind in their dream that then plays out in how they live their lives. Like this is the great inception of all time, that that Satan comes and he wants to plant a lie deep in the human heart. In fact, two lies, okay? He wants to plant a lie about who God is and he wants to implant a lie about what true life is all about. Okay, here's the lie about who God is. He looks at the tree with them, and he goes, man, that tree looks pretty good. I mean, that tree looks really good. Knowledge of good and evil, it's beautiful, it'll bring wisdom, you'll be like God. And there's a lie that he starts to shape in their minds about God, and it's this. You can't trust him. Okay, that's the essence of the lie. Meaning, what kind of a God would, would keep something that, this good from his kids? Like, why would God keep back such a wonderful, desirable gift? Um, God is not generous. God is a withholder. That's the kind of God you have. He's the kind of God who wants to withhold things from his kids. He wants to keep them in their place. He wants to keep them back from their full potential. Right? He's not this generous, loving God. He doesn't have your best you know, his, he doesn't have your best intentions in mind. He's, he's holding you back from something. It's a deep lie about who God is. At the essence of it is he, you can't trust him. He doesn't love you. He does not have your best in mind. And with that, then, there is a lie about life. And here it is. True life comes not from obeying God's commands. There is a life out there that is fulfilling, that is adventurous, that is beautiful, and it does not come from conforming yourself to God's commands. It comes from doing an end around God's commands, but those commands are there to keep you back from true life. Okay? There is a beautiful life to be had and is not found in keeping the commandments of God. And so what you have to do is you've got to take life for yourself. right? You don't depend on God. You've got to take it for yourself. And that's the great sin. They take this for themselves, life for themselves outside of God's commands, and they eat it. I'm not going to eat this right now. Um, and everything changes, and all of a sudden, what happens is they—the worth and the significance and meaning they were supposed to find in God—they are now finding in things of the world, earthly things that God created. Their hearts and minds are now fixed on the things of the world. Okay, they start a love affair with the things of the world, thinking that it's in the things of the world that I will find deep meaning and purpose and security and satisfaction and significance in life, all right? We call that idolatry, okay? We call this idolatry. This is how Paul sums it up in Romans 1. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, right? He got them to discredit God. And they worshiped and served created things Rather than the creator. And that's what idolatry is. It's, it's putting our, our significance and our satisfaction and our security in worldly things rather than in God himself. Tim Keller puts it this way. That's idolatry. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absor- absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. For Adam and Eve, it was a fruit that promised freedom and wisdom. But it can be just about anything for us. It could be money. It could be success. It could be physical beauty. It could be... Um, Winning the applause of others. It could be even our families. It could be a person. It could be an idea of a a romantic relationship. Anything in the created universe that we might find our ultimate significance and satisfaction in apart from God. And that is why I think John ends by saying, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. It's the love affair with the world that is going to get in the way of our relationship with God. And so in verse 19, when it says, we know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one, what that means is that Satan has cast a spell over the human heart. This is the spell, right? It's a spell that says you can't trust God, and so you've got to go to the things of the world to find satisfaction. And then we start a love affair with the things of this world. All right? And that is why I think, to go back to chapter, uh, verse 3, and this idea of God's commands not being burdensome, that is why I think we experience God's commands, or people can experience God's commands as, in fact, burdensome, right? So let's look at this again. These commands that are supposed to give life, now human beings in this world experience those very commands as being burdensome, right? Right? We experience him burdensome for a couple of reasons. One is we look at this God who gave us the command, and there's something in our heart that says, I don't know if I trust him. Right? I don't know if he's got my best in mind. I, 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 I don't know if he's holding me back. So I'm not, I'm not convinced that going through this door of obedience is actually going to lead me to a fulfilling life. I'm not convinced of that, right? And um, <laughs> now I, I've got these idols that I carry with me, whatever they might be things of this world, and I'm thinking that in them, I'm going to find life, right? This is where life is, and I'm not convinced that if if I follow God and obey him, I don't know if these idols can go through the door with me, right? Like sometimes he's going to ask me to do some things, and I'm not sure the idols, they're not going to fit through. I know I'm going to have to let them go in order to obey, and that that does not feel freeing. That feels like a very heavy burden. And I think this is where life is. I don't think life is found in obedience. So I experienced this commandment that was intended to give me life as a very burdensome thing. You guys with me? Yeah. Okay, so let me just give you a couple really obvious examples. I'm, you know, In the Christian world, we talk a lot about uh, money, sex, and power. Right? This is the, the trinity of, of worldly things. Money, sex, and power. And you can think about God's commandments around those issues. Money, sex, and power. So let me just, just tease this out. So let's just talk about money for a second. And Jesus commands about money. Um, Remember the story of the rich young ruler, this young wealthy guy that Jesus comes to. And you imagine this being that guy. And Jesus gives him a command. And he says this, here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. And then I want you to come and follow me. Uh, Luke's gospel tells us that when Jesus did that, he looked at this man and he loved him. Meaning he cared about this guy. He knew exactly what was going to lead to life for this guy. But this guy looked at that command, and all he saw was this terrible burden. What a, what a burdensome command. Because he had, this, he had this idol, which was his wealth. And he thought, I can't part with this because this is where my security is. This is where my significance is. And he didn't know Jesus that well. He didn't know if he could trust the guy or not. And so he experienced it as burdensome, and he chose not to walk through that door. Or think about, you know, commandments around issues of sex in the New Testament. Okay? Imagine this. Paul says something like this. Among God's people, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality. And it's very clear in Scripture what that's defined is there shouldn't be any sexual expressions or behavior outside of the context of a marriage. Okay, husband and wife, in your marriage, that is the only beautiful, life-giving, appropriate form of sexual expression. Okay, God made sex. Are we agreed on that? There's like 10 sermons right there. Amen, God made sex. That's a beautiful beautiful statement about who the creator is. He knows how it works. <laughs> you think? He, he made it. He knows how it thrives. He knows how it doesn't. And he offers this commandment. Walk through this commandment, you will find life. But you look at our culture today, looks at that commandment, and is just, an, I mean, the average person is like, are you kidding me? That is, what an unbearable burden. Like what, almost, I mean, it's a non-starter. Like seriously, you expect that from me. Like what a, what a burdensome commandment. Because of course we have this idol in our culture of, of sexual freedom, sexual expression, sexual pleasure at all costs, right? And so you're telling me that I can't, hook up with my boyfriend or girlfriend, or I can't engage in all sorts of various things that I I might do, this feels like a terrible burden. I can't walk through that door. Uh, We could talk about power. I won't spend much time talking about it, but Jesus, you know, tells his disciples who are in this argument about who's the greatest, uh, and Jesus is like, hey, let me tell you about power. Uh, In my kingdom, here's the way it works. The one who wants to be greatest is the servant of all. You just kind of let go of of your status and your power i mean that's it, not what it's about you just it's about serving people and sh- before his crucifixion they looked at that what a burdensome command are you kidding me you think life is found in that especially, especially in a culture of honor and shame no way Right? There's a spell that's cast over this world. I can't trust God, and life is found outside of God's commandments. And so God's commandments, intended to give life, are experienced as burdensome. What a burden you are trying to impose on me. And Now, the great irony of all of that is, of course, you think about where our culture is in money, sex, and power. Uh, seeking freedom from the burdensome commandments of God. And what, are, what is our culture experiencing? An incredible burden of disobedience. Right? I mean, think about money. People not going through the door of what, what Jesus invites us into in generosity. And people's lives are defined by their wealth. And they are imprisoned by their wealth. And they're constantly wondering, do I have enough? Am I going to be secure? And they're constantly measuring themselves up by who, who has what. It is a terrible burden not to walk through the door of obedience to Jesus on the lines of wealth. Or how about Sex. Our culture is not free regarding sex right now. Our culture is experiencing a terrible burden. The burden of, of relational uh, fracture as people hook up together, they get together, and then, and then hearts are broken all the time. Uh, sexual addiction, sexual confusion, we are not a free sexual culture, okay? We are burdened by the freedom we have chosen. Or again, power and status, Right? I mean, you think about Orange County, people are constantly looking, where, how do I fit, like, how do I measure up? Where do I fit in this order? Um, the, the irony is the culture seeks freedom and experiences the burden of its own freedom, right? Okay, so that is it, though. That is part two of the story. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. There's a spell. You cannot trust God's heart for you. Life must be found in this world, not in God's commands, so let's go to part three, and let's end this thing on a positive note. Redemption. How has God solved this problem? And what then is a Christian? What is a Christian? All right? What is the story? Well, verse 19 tells us the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But verse 20, here's the redemption. But we also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true. God sends his son, and he sends his son, among other things, to give us understanding about what God is truly like. John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. We don't know what he's really like, but the one and only son who came, he has made him known. He has explained God to us. And what's so beautiful is, right, the lie was produced on a tree. And so Jesus brings the truth on a tree. And so Jesus comes to a tree, to a cross, right? And he puts himself on that cross. He's crucified on that cross. And what we see on the cross is Jesus finally explaining God to us. Okay, last week, chapter 4, let me just read it to you. We read this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. For our sins. We learn God is explained on the cross. And this Jewish man who gives his life away. And shows us in fact God is an entirely loving God. God is a very sacrificial God. God is a very generous God. God is not a withholder. He did not withhold his only son. Right? The, the, the most precious thing to him. The most valuable thing that he has, he freely gave to us. Meaning, you can trust him. The lie is a lie. He does have your best in mind. Who else does things like this for you? Nobody else in the world does things like this for you. God's heart for you is one of love and generosity and and approval and, and a sacrificial giving out. You can trust his heart for you. How else could he demonstrate that that is more extravagant than this? You do not have to be suspicious of his heart. You can trust it wholeheartedly. He is not a withholder. He loves you. He gives good things. He's very generous with his children. He's given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Look at the second half of verse 20. And not just so that we can understand what God is like, But, and we are in him, in God, who is true, by being in his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Jesus doesn't just give understanding of God, but he gives a way for us to have a deep personal relationship with this God through his son, who is eternal life, okay? Eternal life, true life is not found here. This is not where it's found in the world, in the things of the world. It is found in a relationship with the God of the universe who alone is the true God through Jesus Christ himself, who himself is the true God in eternal life. And so not only do I, the lie about God's heart for me is dispelled, but the lie about where where, where true life is found. It's not found in the things of this world. It is found in the one who created us. He made us for himself. Our hearts will be restless Until they find their rest and their satisfaction in him. And that's what Jesus begins to reveal to us. This is one of my favorite verses in scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul says this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the knowledge of of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. And I have this picture of Jesus hanging on a cross and and the glory of God shining through his face. And what you see there is the truth about who God is in the face of Jesus Christ. That God loves you, that God longs for you, and that life is found in him alone. And this is what a Christian is. Okay, just to answer this question, in case you're wondering. <laughs> a Christian is someone for whom God's spirit has moved in their heart and mind to experience the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Meaning, a, a Christian is someone for whom God has broken the spell of the world. The lies of Satan. Satan. And has made them become born again. That's the old school language, right? Born of God. And they're beginning to realize, God loves me. God approves of me. I'm his child. There's no condemnation. And not only that, but God is the thing I want. And that's the the big one, guys, I think. God himself is the thing my heart wants God is not a means to an end. God is the end, right? I'm not trying to use God to hopefully get the things I want, like a nice family or a a secure future or whatever. No, I don't use, God is what I want. Whom do I have in heaven but God? What does earth have but God? That's what a Christian is. Someone whose heart is being changed so that what we want is nothing more, nothing less than God himself. That's what the new birth is all about. Okay, so let's go back to uh, verse 3 and 4 to to kind of bring this this home. Verse 3 says this. His commands are not burdensome. Why? Verse 4. For everyone born of God, there's that born of God, everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world our faith, okay? Why aren't God's commandments burdensome? Because we've overcome the world, meaning the spell of the world has been broken. Satan's lies about God and about true life have been broken. They've been revealed and unmasked for what they truly are. How does that happen? Through our faith, it says. What is faith? Faith is this deep down trust that God loves me, that God has my good in mind, that God's not a withholder. That God intends good things for me, I can trust Him, and that life is found in Him and Him alone. That's what faith is all about, right? So let's look at this diagram one last time. When a commandment comes into my path, it's not burdensome anymore. Why? Well, first, because I look at the person who gave it to me, and I'm like, I trust Him. I don't, I might even understand this command. This command feels funny to me, honestly. Looking at it from here, I'm not sure, whatever that commandment is. But I know I can trust this guy. Whatever this commandment is, it was given by someone who loves me and wants life for me. I can trust that. So okay, I might not understand it, but I can trust it. And second, I'm no longer clinging to these idols, whatever they are, of the world, thinking I'm going to find life here. I already know life is not found here. So whatever I have to let go of to, to obey God is worth it. Whatever I'm going to lose to obey him, there's greater life on the other side of that door than there is by holding on to this. Is this making sense? So this isn't burdensome. Confusing sometimes, yes. Complicated, yes. But I trust the guy who gave it to me, and I trust that life is on the other side of this, way more than if I hold on to this stuff. I know life isn't here. God's shown me that. Life has shown me that. All right, so I want to leave you with this image as a way of, of finishing up First John. You know, maybe this represents you right now in your life. Uh, maybe you're going through your life right now and, and there's is some, there is some issue that is presenting itself and there's some probably commandment of God that you, you know is from God. It might be directly out of Scripture or you have a sense there's something you're being invited to do I mean, every day there's commandments of God. But you're standing before that door, and you're wondering, should I, should I walk through that door or not? Um, I want to leave you with, well, I think, maybe the two main ideas from John's letter, okay? The first idea is this. I just want to remind you that Christianity, at its essence, is ultimately about the heart. Okay, At the heart of it is, in the end, what do you worship? What do you love? What does your heart love? It's not just about checking boxes. Okay, It's not just about going through the motions. It's not just about these practices that you just kind of do. It is about the heart. That's why the, the book ends, Keep Yourselves from Idols. And right before that, talks about Jesus, who alone is the true God. The essence of the Christian life is this. Is Jesus going to be your one true God, or are the idols of this world going to be the gods of your heart? You've got to guard your heart so that Jesus reigns there, because that is the essence of Christianity. It is about faith. It is not about checking boxes. But the other thing I would say, because I think John would say that, is that being said, it is about the heart. John would say this, and obey God's commands. Obey God's commands, whether you understand them, whether you feel like doing them or not, um, obey them. And here's the thought I want to leave you with, because you want to know one of the best ways to discover that God's commands aren't burdensome? You walk through them by obeying them. You discover the freedom of obedience by obeying that's the way you do it. You don't, you don't do a research project on obedience, right? You don't ask, you know, a bunch of friends, what happened when you obey? I mean, you could do that. But we discover that God's commandments aren't burdensome by obeying. And we come over time through obedience to discover, you know what, this, this creator might understand how the world works. He might have something, something going there. And so we obey. We obey when we feel like obeying, and we obey when we don't feel like obeying. And we trust that as we continue to obey as an act of faith, that God will change our hearts over time. Let me leave you with one very small way this happened in my own life, okay? And you could come up with a million other much better stories than this. But 20 years ago, I was in seminary, uh, and I... I was going through a, a hard time and a, what felt to me like a really busy time. Now, looking back, I kind of laughed that I thought I was really busy. Um, but at the time, I was overwhelmed. I felt busy. Um, and um, I was up in, up in uh, Vancouver, Canada, going to school up there in the you know, the drizzle of the Pacific Northwest. And, and I was overwhelmed just with the, the work of my life. But I had been, over, over a period of a couple months, I had been reading about the Sabbath Uh, for some reason in some of my classes, or I just kept coming up against it. And, And I'm not even going to speak to whether that, we have to obey that as a command today or not. That's a great question to ask. But it was clear over time that I was feeling compelled that I was supposed to obey the command to take a Sabbath. And so I sat with that for a, Good couple months and I sat with it and the command felt totally burdensome. It felt restrictive. I thought there's no way I cannot take a full day off of my life and get the work done that needs to be done. It just it feels like a burden like it's a non starter for me. But I cho- I can't even remember how I got to the point of doing it, but I chose to do it. Just like okay, I feel like I'm supposed to do this act of faith, active obedience, my heart isn't even there. My heart's not in there, but I'm gonna do this. And for me that decision was the most amazing thing, literally overnight, the minute I made that decision, everything flipped in my mind. And I, I looked at my schedule and I thought, with that simple decision, I have just given myself a lifetime of wonderful days. With that simple decision, now I can look at my calendar and every seven days, no matter how busy, stressful, how, no matter how hard my life is, Every seven days, there is an epic day waiting for me of play and rest and food and friends and, and, and just joy. And I could almost like visually see the days laid out. Every seven, there's one. And then another seven, there's another one. And another seven. And every seven days, I am going to walk into these days of joy and freedom and play. On the, on the left side of the door, the command felt utterly restrictive and burdensome. I walked through that door. I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, all along you were just trying to give me freedom. <laughs> Turns out six days was enough to get what I needed to get done. Um, in fact, I was more productive in six days than I'd been in seven before. But God's commandments so often work that way. What feels like a burden, what feels like restriction on the front end, you walk through and you find out, actually, the creator was just trying to give me life and freedom all along. Many of you could tell your own stories about finances, about sexual things, whatever, that you walked through that door and you realized, oh, obedience was the road to freedom all along. And really, John is saying that in so many ways. So that's what I want to leave you with in John's gospel. First It is about the heart, so trust God alone, worship God alone, keep your hearts from idols, and obey God's commands as a way to freedom. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we're so grateful for the Apostle John, the disciple who Jesus loved as he refers to himself, Uh, the way you grabbed a hold of his heart brought him into a life of obedience, transformed him by your spirit, and then gave us this great letter that is inspired by your spirit that still speaks 2,000 years later about very basic aspects of our faith. And so I pray as we've sat with this over the fall that whatever your spirit would want to ground us in, that, that he would do that. And I pray even now as we worship you in song, as we worship you through prayer, Would we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Would you reveal your glory again? Would you free our hearts from the idols that are there, from the hold that the world has, from the love affair that we pursue with this world? Would we be freed from that to see in you our ultimate joy and treasure? And may you move in us through your spirit towards acts of obedience this week that we might find freedom, what it means to be human beings again.